Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Fred, your host and sports writer for LSJ, and joining me as always this week are two guys who would never miss a free throw in the final second of a big-time college basketball game. It's LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch and Detroit Free Press Michigan State beat writer Chris Solari. Chris, let me start with you. How are you doing on this sort of chilly, at least in your basement, uh, Thursday morning? I'm feeling as good as my four-point play in 1991. <laughs> uh, do we need all of the details about that? <laughs> Made the free throw. Made the free throw after hitting the three and getting drilled and run over. Three-on-one break, and I didn't pass the ball, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and so I didn't know if this was a Larry Johnson, Knicks versus Pacers-esque four-point play or, or something something different. <laughs> hey. Hey, you know what? I, I made it a four-point possession. That's all that matters, and I got a box score to prove it. I love it. I love it. Graham, how are you? I'm good. You, you're talking to the 1995 St. Paul's Episcopal Church free throw shooting contest champion. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. You are talking, you guys are talking to someone who uh, in DC BBL between grades one through five scored two points. So my basketball acumen is uh, was pretty good. I was If you remember the kid on your team who was terrified to shoot the ball every time he got it, uh, I was definitely that person. So... Everyone needs a passer. <laughs> That's right. I'm more of a Ricky Rubio distributor than uh, than a scorer. So yeah, I, I picture you as Ricky Rubio every time I picture you. <laughs> Me too. Me too. That's I mean, exactly. Similar looks, similar types of girlfriends. I mean, I, I get it. I get it. I think that's I think that's a great call on your guys' part. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little uh, MSU basketball. Uh, we I referenced the free throws at the beginning of the podcast, and uh, that's unfortunately how it came down to for Michigan State in their game against. Illinois on Tuesday night and uh, that was a game that they lost 56 to 55 and that was coming off the heels of a, a blowout win at number eight Wisconsin uh, on this podcast last week we predicted they would go 0 and 2 and they ended up going one on one but I don't know if this is exactly how the way we would have predicted they go one one go one on one especially when you consider that uh, Illinois did not have Kofi Coburn on Tuesday night as well so but uh, let me start with you, Chris. Uh, even though Michigan State made a pretty great comeback there against Illinois, it really didn't seem like a game that they really should have been in at all, let alone nearly kind of swipe it there at the end or at least force overtime. Well, their defense really is what got them in that position. I mean, you know, they, they started locking down Illinois late in that game. And, I mean, they still – I think they finished on, what, a 7-0 run. Um, they needed 9 to win and 8 to tie, but – they they also I, I think you know Tom Izzo talked about this after the game and you know you, you look at the start of that game again and you know yes they came out and scored the first five points but then they started turning the ball over with regularity um, in those first ten minutes and that you know you, that's hard to overcome 
I mean, you know, any free throw at the end isn't going to matter if you're giving up the ball 10 times or nine times in the first half, whatever it was that turned into 15 points and you can't generate anything turnover wise the other way during that stretch. And it, you know, that's, there were, I, I think when, you know, we'll, it, it's Thursday and we'll talk to Tom Izzo later today. I, I'm sure he'll find a few things out of that game that, that he really liked. And I think the defensive effort will be one of them, but um yeah, I mean, they almost stole a game they probably shouldn't have won, Graham. And, you know, coming off the Wisconsin game, uh, that wasn't the kind of performance they really wanted. That was a lot, a, a reversion. Uh, and I think you wrote about what Izzo said about the guys taking two steps back, really, in this game. Yeah, it's it sort of – it was really an interesting interesting night because um, – and, and we've all seen the game where a team is missing a key player and somebody else comes forward that invites you in. Um, and that that happens, but this was looking at Trent Frazier um, early in that game. I just said to myself, "Yeah, this guy is out here to play. He's not going to let them go down easy, and he's almost relishing this position he's in, where he's got to carry things." And and you're talking about a veteran who's been through it, a veteran who scored, you know, who started twice against Michigan State in 2018. Right. I mean, he's been around forever. And, and, and so there is a, an urgency to the way he plays. And and what happened to Illinois at Maryland, I think, was much more a uh, anomaly than Michigan State's inconsistencies. And so I, I that's what you start to realize about MSU is that I, I don't know this year with this team, with its key guys being uh, a freshman, being uh, a point guard as a transfer who's figuring things out being a center in his, in his first year in this role and, and first year playing really well with uh, and, and, and Gabe Brown, who is in his first year as a headliner, but also not quite in the position of Frazier is. I don't know if this team is ever going to be a team that this year, and they might, that, that we can trust to give the effort and the execution we saw uh, at Wisconsin game to game to game. I do feel like people forget about how good Frazier has been uh, throughout his career, just because, you know, he and I mean, I remember last year and the year before the, the the talk was how he took a back seat and really deferred and allowed a Io to Io to Sunmu to kind of shine, but Fraser was a good player for a while, and I mean, you know, that's that's a veteran group there. I mean, when you got a guy like that, that that's, you know, a, 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 who has been. Through the battles, I think, as you kind of mentioned, these the Michigan State's guys may have been in some battles, but they weren't. A lot of those guys like Bingham and Brown uh, and Hall, a lot of times over the years, they haven't really been in the thick of it until now in, in those starring roles. So, you know, some of that, and I think we've seen a, a, a few teams like this under Izzo that, you know, here we are in January and they're still trying to develop that winning killer instinct down the stretch in some games like that. And that may take time. That may not come. Um, but, you know, I, I can say that, you know, from what I've seen of those guys, it feels like particularly because of what we saw earlier in the season and, you know, it, and, you know, even the Baylor game, you know, even, even that tournament down in the Bahamas against some of the best competition uh, that they faced this year, uh, you know, they there were games the the Loyola game and the Connecticut game, and then that first half of the Baylor game where they played excellent, excellent basketball as good as anybody in the country. So, you know, it's there. Uh, 
it, it's about finding the consistency and and finding the killer instinct to to put games away uh, late, like the Northwestern game, and you know, really, and and coming out early too. I mean, you have to come out with that killer instinct, and those slow starts have been just as problematic as some of the the other issues that they've had. Yeah, and they had nothing going for a while. I mean, it was. I mean, and part of the two straight games now where Tyson Walker started slow and played well at the end. Like they've got to figure out how to get him going early because so much offense flows based on what he's able to give them. Um, they don't, you know, and we, we've looked at this before as, as perhaps a two-year group, um, and so, you know, this is the, you know, and and sometimes you think they're ahead of it because they do show potential to be a very very good team, and and I just think that th- this really isn't necessarily their time. It doesn't mean they won't by the end of this year. We've seen teams late in February and March get it and get on a run, and doesn't mean it won't come together this year. But they are in a different point than Illinois is with their with their veterans and what they expect and and, and sort of their I don't say professionalism, but about how they go things, but their expectations for themselves and, and everything. So there there were some things though, guys, that I thought were, you know, I mean, I, when you look back at it, uh, Marcus Bingham. They were 19 points better with 19 minutes he was in the game. Does, um, you know, but I didn't think he was somebody who was – he didn't stand out as dominating as much as the stats. I thought Joey Hauser played pretty well. I thought um, Malik Hall at the late in the game. They've got to make – he's got a guy who's got to get going early too. Now, he didn't play enough and Izzo said it early. So there, there were a number of interesting things that maybe could have contributed. But the other thing is valuing possessions. You know, you, you miss – you know, Gabe Brown – as a goaltend, that's sort of ridiculous on a putback play. Uh, you know, you get Max Christie missing a layup. You get a number of sort of goofy either turnovers or missed opportunities, you know, four or five of them of their, uh, you know, turnovers and, and, uh, and whatnot. That, and a game that comes down to one point, really, I mean, they have to learn that those, those things matter. Yeah, and you also have to kind of keep a, a close eye on Marble in matchups where his defense is – struggling because you can't afford to I think it was minus 17 or something along those lines and he missed a number of those early in close buckets uh you mentioned Christie's but there were a couple where Marble was point blank and missed as well that that they really need Joey Hauser I think missed a layup as well so things that that ultimately come back and cost you in a game like that it, it, it is interesting because game to game, right? AJ Hogard, Marbles, really good one game. AJ Hogard was fantastic in Wisconsin, and you know we really haven't met since then. But he was, and what I think that what that does, unfortunately for AJ, is it changes expectations for him because we've seen it now. Like that's what you can be. Okay, that's what you have to do. And then you see a, a turnover, one of those possessions where he just takes off like a bull into the middle of traffic <laughs> and yeah. the charging call. Like, and, 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 but it's all this stuff's a process. It's a hard process to speed up. Max Christie. I mean, his basically said he could tell in huddles that either the crowd, the situation, everything kind of got to him a little bit. And that's a freshman that's going to happen. And when you're relying on a freshman heavily, like they are, he leads them in minutes for a game, you know, you're going to have a game like that. And so that's, Again, that's going to be this season for MSU. Doesn't mean they can't make a run in March, but it does mean it's very unlikely they win a Big Ten title, even at you know six and two, because there are just going to be more of these days, I think, and there are going to be some days they win. And I think if you're a Michigan State fan, what you really have to hope is one, it's not Saturday against Michigan, <laughs> and uh, and then it's you know there are enough good days that they're in a good seed and a good spot where if they get everything right, they can they can make a run in March. Before we move on to Michigan, I, let's talk about Malik Hall for a moment. Uh, despite the missed free throw at the end of the game against Illinois, he seems to 
overall maybe kind of been a winner out of out of the game. I think a lot of people are now clamoring for him to play more, and even Tom Izzo said as much in the post-game press conference as he finished with seven points and seven rebounds in 21 events. And there's a little part of me that's like, I wonder if he's gotten a little extra boost from fans after the everything Amani Bates' dad said this weekend, after all of his struggles of Memphis, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get too far into that. But, uh, I mean, what do you guys kind of make of Malik Hall? And do you think he really should be be playing more than what he's playing at the moment? Not when he's playing passive. I mean, he's got to be more of an aggressor. And I think there were some there were moments when he was just really passive uh, until those maybe last eight minutes of the game. Um, you know, it's, that, I think he's got it in him. Um, someone's got to take the reins as a – as an alpha, that's I, there's there's a lot of guys that that have kind of the capability, and you saw Walker take that last shot, which I know Izzo kind of got into him on it, but I mean, I it, it wasn't a bad shot to me, you know, mid range jumper, and it was open, but but Hall's I mean, Hall at, at Wisconsin looked much more aggressive than he did in this game, I thought, and, uh, until those last few minutes, so. Yeah, and I like Walker. They want to be more aggressive. They want him to take mid-range shots. They want him to do more of that. And he's, he's not. But I don't. I don't. I think there was something on that final play that he didn't see that Isabel thought he should have seen that that they wanted to get. But um, with Hall, it is interesting because coming off that Wisconsin game where they went to him, like he was the go-to guy. I would have thought they'd try to build on that a little bit. Now every game is different. The way you're played is different. The opportunity, and so. And I was a little surprised. The flip side, the, the thing they struggled with for a while is this is one of those games that where Joey Hauser for a while when nobody else was playing well, was rebounding well, was getting them in. It was actually, Joey Hauser actually played a really good game and a game where not a lot, a lot of other dudes were doing a lot. And and so I, I think that there was a little bit of the platooning of, of, of Hauser and, uh, and Hall. Like, oh, wait a sec, Hauser's playing really well right now or, or when nobody else is. We just, But I, I do think in, in, a, in a, on a roster where you are, as Chris alluded to, you're looking for an alpha dog, and that's what Illinois has, right? And that was the whole point they were talking about, you know, and Izzo's talking about this. The coach-coach teams don't get anywhere. The player-coach teams, you know, the, it, it, Illinois has that. So I was a little surprised we didn't see more of Malik Hall. I think you will against Michigan. Um, I, I don't think it was a great game for the staff, but I also feel for the staff when there's a game where nobody's really doing anything. Like, what what is your lineup option when, and, and I know you can look at plus minus later with Bingham, but I watched that game too. Marcus Bingham wasn't Marcus Bingham's played ten better games than that this year, and sometimes plus minus. Like to me, plus minus is a great stat. Um, was a good stat over time. Like if you look at a five game stretch and go, wow, that guy is when they're on the floor, they're winning. Then it has a little more credence. It can be so much more circumstantial in, in, in a single game. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gone to Bingham more. I'm not saying he's not wasn't their matchup edge. But I, I, I do think that was a difficult game to substitute and, and coach because there was not a lot they had going. And both their point guards were having pretty miserable games for quite a while. And it's like, how do you, how do you, what do you do here? And that's the problem with not having a, a real star you trust yet. And, and Gabe Brown is struggling. That's another thing we haven't really talked a lot about. He is struggling yeah. with a shot. And, and, you know, that's, that's a guy that you're, uh, you're counting on in, in a lot of ways as a veteran and, and, um, Right now, he's just he's just not there. And Max Christie as well. I mean, you know, you want to talk about the microcosm of that game. Uh, to me, it was you know particularly the first half. There was that there was that 
uh, high-low entry pass that he threw from the top of the key that went about four rows deep into the first in, into the back of the basket uh, down to the baseline. And you know, in a game where you've got to be getting the ball into the post, I mean, you, you don't have Coburn. Um, you know, that to me, I thought was you, know, you mentioned about the coaching staff issues. I think that there should have been more emphasis placed on getting the ball deeper into the paint. But again, you know, when you're trying to get the ball deeper in the paint, you throw it away or you're turning it over nine, ten times in a half, um, you know, with when when you drive, when you get called for a goal ten, what, you know, I mean, you know, it, 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 yeah, Christie, I think, had the three turnovers and they were all pretty bad passes or two of them were bad passes and one of them was, I, I believe, maybe a charge. But the, the, the turnovers that they've had were weird. Uh, but Christie's, in, in particular, I thought were, were you know kind of tone setters for what that half was because his inability to get the ball inside kind of mimicked what what the other guards were having issues with as well when they did try to get in there. And you saw the big guys. I think Marble mentioned about him, you know, missing some of those layups around around the basket. I mean, you know, it was not deep enough in the paint. I mean, you know, he was probably outside the semicircle um, inside the block when he was trying to shoot those hook shots over guys. So, uh, yeah, there were a lot of things that by all circumstances, they probably should not have been in that game like they were at the end. And I think that's one thing that could help them, you know, in terms of maintaining a spot in this race is they do have that defensive capability to shut a team down like Illinois for five minutes at a time. Um, that, that was one of the things that I think you come out of it saying, wow, that was that was an impressive performance there. And, and as we, we transition to sort of Michigan talk here, I mean, this this stretch here will be tough because after Michigan, yeah. you know, it's right away, it's two road games that are winnable road games that you'd probably settle for a split when you talk about, you know, Rutgers and Maryland. But, but they're, they're, when, just from the outset, you, you say they're they're more winnable than than Illinois. You thought going in before the before Kofi and and uh, Corbella were out, and then you know more and 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 Wisconsin. But it's still you've got to you've got to beat a Maryland team that's playing a bit better right now, and you've got to beat a, a Rutgers team in one of the toughest places to play in the Big Ten. And so th- those are the games like how you show up on those nights consistently, like to be trusted and to to be in the race. You know, uh, to me, if Michigan State is going to be in the Big Ten conversation at the end, because they got a lot of tough games left, they need a 3-0 and stretch, which is a lot to ask. Michigan's playing much better, although they didn't look amazing for a while against Northwestern. And then those two games next week, you go 3-0, and okay, even if you're inconsistent at times, just mathematically, you're going to be in it. Um, you go less than that, you start to look at some of the games and some of the teams that are, are, are going to be around. And I'm not saying you couldn't. I, I, I think it'll be tough. What Michigan State team do you expect to see Saturday? Is it going to be the one from Tuesday against Illinois, or is it going to be the one against Wisconsin from Friday when they were just utterly dominant throughout? Well, they're going to play with edge, right? I mean, they're going to play with – I mean, it's Michigan. It's going to be the best Breslin Center uh, this year. It's probably the first really, really packed Breslin Center. Um, by the way, uh, my mother and wife went to see Frozen last night at Wharton, right? And it was packed there. So – there are things at Michigan State that'll pack it, and let's see if Michigan State basketball can do for the community and, and, and Michigan State what, what Frozen is doing over at Wharton Center, no. the musical. But uh, shout out to Elsa. 
Yeah, absolutely. It is a lot of kids, by the way. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of kids staying up late to uh, wearing wearing certain dresses uh, of their favorite characters. I, but, I, uh, I would know nothing about any of this stuff in my house with three <laughs> three girls under seven, eight, ages seven and under. I wouldn't have any idea about it. <laughs> Graham, did you dress us Olaf? I didn't go. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I got back from from Illinois. I was I was very happy to have an evening of, of just. <laughs> Vegging on the uh, vegging on the couch. So no, I I do think look, I do think they'll play with an edge. This is Michigan, right? This is a game that they were amped to already play once on the road. This is an opponent they've scouted once and prepared to play. This is a game that I think not only are they coming off a game where they didn't play well, which probably helps them in some degree. Um, I, I no, I, I expect you'll see. Now, will they be so amped up that things go awry? That's the question. And can they focus and be? And, and play with purpose and execution when they've got guys who are just really, really like a guy I want to see is Marcus Bingham because we've been waiting. We saw him early on against some big 10 matchups and now Kobe didn't play. And there've been other, some other things that didn't Well, now here's Hunter Dickinson who, who gave you issues. You know, are you dialed in, but also uh, even keeled enough, not so amped up that you, you get in foul trouble early. You do something like, I want to see some of these matchups. I want to see Tyson Walker in this spot. I want to see uh, Max Christie be able to handle this spot. Gabe Brown, too, can he get Like, this spot is, is an interesting spot. So I, there's a lot to see. I think they'll give it everything. I think they'll, I think they'll play with edge and, and, and you know, they'll be, they'll be ferocious and everything they want to be. But are they a smart, well-oiled team that executes? I, I don't know. A.J. A. Hogard in particular in this one, because I think from a size standpoint, you know, he can cause some disruption. But he also has that propensity to to go from energy to over over uh exerting or you know uh, you know just you know if you make that transition between being hype versus too hype just like you said i mean you know that's a guy that will, will turn the ball over that goes the other way will run into guys and and create charges that'll kill and curtail momentum um they need exactly what you said about Bingham. They need that from Hogard. They need him to play with an even keel. Um, I think because I, I think Walker, Walker, I think, you know, when he had though he has some limitations at times and and struggles with his aggression. I think when he's got the ball in his hands, he's pretty much for the most part a, a you know flat line kind of guy. Which you kind of, I mean, that's I think the difference between him and Hogard at the one is that Hogard plays. You know, sometimes a little too over amplified, um, and that that ends up, you know, affecting the other guys around them when you when your possessions are going the other way quickly or when they end quickly. What they could also use is a, I guess we'll call it a retro at this point, a retro Gabe Gabe Brown performance. You know, he led the team in scoring in seven of the first fourteen games of the season, I believe, and he has not in each of the last five games. And even Robbie Hummel on the telecast on Tuesday, I don't know if you guys ever went back and rewatched it, but he kind of even mentioned uh, Gabe's struggles as he clanged another <laughs> another one off the rim. But uh, I, I, this would be a good time for him to kind of, you know, pick it back up, I would think. I, I absolutely, you know, you, you you want a veteran right now. It's not the road game at Michigan you, you, that, that, that they were preparing for, but, you know, it, it'll they could use a guy. Like, I think when Gabe Brown hit shots early – the whole team relaxes and, you know, I think it helps and it's not that they need it. They beat Wisconsin without it. Right. It's not that it's necessary. I'm just saying, uh, you know, we saw on that Nebraska game where, 
where they were not playing well early. They turned the ball over, what, 10 times in 11 minutes. And the thing that was really keeping them from falling off the cliff was Gabe Brown played very, very well. And, and, and that kind of kept them, you know, afloat. And, and they, they, you know, Gabe Brown could prevent things from the floor from falling out on them. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They are a team where there are just a lot of different guys that you can take and do it, but you can't really trust any of them to do it yet. And so what do you get on a given day and what happens when none of them do it? And that's what happened at Illinois for a while. And um, I, I, I'm just, I think it's an interesting matchup. I think the emotions of it are interesting um, given that they prepared for this once before. And um, yeah, I'm very curious to see it. Yeah, Brown right now uh, over his last four games is 11 for 33 overall and four for 18 from three. And that's ultimately the spot. I mean, they, they struggled. He wasn't the only one that struggled from behind the arc at, at, uh, at Illinois, although he did hit one really big one late that kind of helped that that surge to get back in the game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's – Got to crash the boards a little bit more. Um, he had nine in the Northwestern game, but he's had seven combined the last two games. Um, you know, and that that's less of an issue because I think they've done a, a pretty good job on the boards um, as a whole. But they've also given up a lot of offensive boards, and you know that goes to Brown not cutting out and some of the other guys not cutting out. Uh, from the guard spot that has allowed some second chance opportunities um, that, that you know, that's, that's across the board, though. I mean, but Brown in particular, I mean, they need the energy from him. Um, you know, and that's another example like those other guys that we mentioned. You know, are you, you know, the Energizer Bunny, like you like to call himself, or are you overcranked to the point where you're playing out of control, you're catching the ball in – transition and walking um you know he had that he had a breakaway dunk uh in, in that game that you know he there were some things and signs of life late that you could say okay you know maybe um maybe he can you know kind of turn it around but i mean you know four for nine was okay but you know they need they need the outside shot from him to fall and they need a consistency that he talked about really since what his sophomore year, he talked about trying to develop that consistency and we still haven't seen it yet. He, he definitely fancies himself an outside shooter. So even if he's showing off his athletic side, you know, with the blocks and, you know, hustle down the court or whatever, if you're going to be a three point shooter, you got to hit your shots. That's what the Spartans need from him way, way more than anything else. Gabe Brown has never met a shot. He didn't take <laughs> it's not let, not unlike anybody else on this podcast. <laughs> it's great for Moneyball, Maybe, maybe not so great for actual Michigan state basketball, but uh, all right. Well, I think we've covered that a little bit. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to predictions for this game from you guys. Graham, I'll start with you. Do the Spartans rate the ship here? You know, I, I do think they went at home. Michigan's playing quite a bit better. They've been better. Uh, I mean, they, they, you know, they, look, there was a stretch against Northwestern where they were awful, but they, they were in some foul trouble too. Um, and I, I think pound for pound, they've good. but I, I just feel like Breslin is going to have, there's going to be an energy to Breslin that's going to help this team. Um, I think over the course of the season, they've played better basketball than Michigan. And um, right now, I, I, I think they, that I don't think Michigan's going to run away from them certainly because of, you know, just what we've seen with their offensive struggles. And yeah, I, I my, my hunch is Michigan State wins this game. It's a competitive game, but MSU, uh, you know, wins by you know 
five, six, seven points at, at the end. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's like, this one's going to be another one, and and stop me if you've heard this one before, but it's going to come down to the turnovers. You know, in a in a game like this with emotion, um, you know, you got to value and maximize your possessions, and they can't be going the other direction uh, for the, the turnovers for touchdowns. And you know, Michigan doesn't turn it over a lot. I mean, they turn it over about twelve and a half times a game, but you know that. You know, Michigan State's got to be able to protect the ball. You can't do what you did to come out of the gate at Illinois and, you know, basically give away how many, what, maybe five, six possessions right out of the gate. You know, uh, you know, out of maybe the first ten, that can't happen. You you got to have strong starts to both halves. You got to play like they they showed in that second half they're capable of in terms of protecting the ball. And I think, you know. It's going to, uh, to me, you got to see Marcus Bingham take that next step uh, against Dickinson from a defensive standpoint. So um, I think you're going to see a really tight game. I think you're going to see another close nail biter. And someone is going to be at the line to have a chance to win it for uh, either team. And I think one way or the other, Michigan State pulls this one out. But it's going to be a dogfight, I think. I kind of expected that Illinois, uh, even without Kofi, and I, I definitely expect it here, um, particularly with all of the the barbs that were sent towards Ann Arbor after Michigan State went down there, and you know Michigan State fans calling for Jawan Howard, and they called started calling him Howard the Duck um, when they Classic. they didn't play that game. So I, I think that that's there's going to be some some harsh feelings that that way as well as we kind of wait to see when that second game may or may not be made up for a lot of, a lot of conspiracy talk regarding that stuff. And we kind of covered that uh, a couple podcasts ago when they initially canceled the game. Uh, Chris, you mentioned the turnovers for Michigan uh, in retrospect, pretty interesting. We spent a lot of time talking about turnovers for Michigan state and for Wisconsin heading into that game. And that really didn't, <laughs> didn't even really become a focal point uh, of that game at all. So uh, we're all just trying to wing it out here is basically what I'm trying to say. Uh, before we go here, let's talk a little couple football items here. And uh, we will start with uh, Michigan State's offensive line coach, Chris Kapilovich, who uh, became the team's highest paid assistant coach, where he is now making a million dollars a year to coach the Spartan big men. Uh, Chris, uh, way too high or as he earned that million dollar salary <laughs> I, I think we're going to see some resetting with some of the other contracts as well i mean they got a million and a half more to play with with tucker's new contract starting um i think it's going to be you're this may be short term him being the highest paid assistant on that staff i mean you got to you know jay johnson was a commodity during the off season as well for some teams i think they're going to probably bump him yeah you know what they do with scotty hazelson i'm not sure I mean, that'll be an interesting thing. But you got to, I mean, he's, you know, both J- Johnson and, and Hazleton's deal expire next year. Other coaches, I I think, you know, there's some others that are that are up for the renegotiations uh, that'll be coming as well. But I think we'll see that money, that, that extra million and a half gets spread out around the assistants to kind of bring them up a little bit more. Um, but as far as Kapilovich, I mean, it's, you know, they, their offensive line played better. At times last year, I mean, you could look at the raw numbers of what Kenneth Walker accomplished and say, wow, the offensive line made market improvements 
over, you know, the, the problems they had in 2017, 18 and 19, uh, or 18, 19 and 20. Um, but you know, a lot of that was Kenneth Walker and slithering through really slim holes. So, but he's recruiting, he's getting guys and, uh, that's what they need. I mean, they, they like what they're seeing from him. Graham, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I just think you, this is uh, it's a guy who's been coveted by other jobs, and you're you know you're um, you're trying to keep him, and you like what you have, and and they've been given the resources to try and hang on to guys, and and uh, I, I think anytime you have a guy that that you think is a big part of what you're trying to put together, um, part of being a program that plays at the highest level is having the resources to hang on to them. So the, the market value is what the market value is, and and and. Uh, um, I, 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 this is, this is, this is, this is the game. And so they, they, they're able to do it. The game is afoot. All right. One more note here. Uh, we, Michigan state saw one more player enter the transfer portal and offensive lineman, Jacob. Oh boy. Asia. Isaiah. Uh, there you go. Exactly. And, and maybe only interesting of note that he is of course the grandson of Bob Apiza, a former all American in Michigan state. He was part of those, uh, 65 and 66, uh, national title teams. And uh, he randomly started the Michigan game in tw- 2019 when he lined up as a fullback. Is it 2018 or 2019? I, I have to admit that I forget which year it is. But uh, a random footnote in his career. I suspect in the grand scheme of Michigan State football, I don't know if it's a on-the-field loss necessarily, Chris. Yeah, well, he, he played on special teams yeah. and, and predominantly on the you know extra point field goal unit. So um, from that standpoint, you know, it, you know, that experience is necessary when you got a new kicker coming in uh, to have in front of them. But, um, you know, you, the hope is that you've got some younger guys with between Vandemark and Boyd and Wigginton and Brown and all those other young guys, those young offensive linemen that they've had the last two classes that, that can be plug and play guys on the, the unit that you see only a few times a game. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off here, guys? No, it should be a, should be a fun Saturday. I'm um, looking forward to seeing Breslin rocking, and then uh, looking forward to talking about it next week. Yep, and then I mean next week's going to be an interesting week for for us to shoehorn in a podcast with a couple road games too. So, a um, lot of other things going on as well. So, it's that time of the year. I'm ready for summer. Yeah. As you said last week, Chris, we're not that far away from the next signing period for football uh, coming up. So should should be a blast. <laughs> coming in uh, about a week or so. Yep. Exactly. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freef.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.